Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 24th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by J.B. Last. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Hey, Charlie. Always happy to be here. Well, I want to talk about what the NFL should have done about the national anthem, an extraordinary moment in our ongoing endless culture wars. But let's start off with uh, some of the breaking news of the day. The president of the United States has canceled the summit with North Korea. Um, what I find fascinating is the, the the reaction falling along predictable lines. Last week, a lot of the Trump supporters were saying it, it, it's so amazing. Only Donald Trump could have gotten this summit meeting. Let's give him a Nobel Peace Prize. And some of the same people are saying um, it is uh, only Donald Trump is amazing enough to have been able to cancel, walk away from this 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 summit. So um, was it the right decision? You know, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up. This is one of those cases where he exposes everybody on all sides as being totally bankrupt. This is uh, my friend Catherine Miller at BuzzFeed wrote this shortly before the election. She said that what's, what's important about Donald Trump is how he reveals those around him. And this is exactly right. So everybody a week ago, uh, Trump supporters were saying have to meet with the with the North Koreans. Uh, brilliant to do so. There's no downside for doing it. And people on the, the left were saying, uh, you know, no, it's terrible. You shouldn't meet with them. What are you kidding? And now today it's flipped. The Trump supporter, it's eight dimensional chess. Look at this. He's, you know, he was brilliant to walk away from this terrible summit that, you know, Kim is behaving badly at. And people who oppose Trump are saying, see, we told you it's it's all terrible. Uh, it was probably it the is, right it, decision. It, 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 well, I'm glad you have that take because, because my reaction, I'm, I'm glad that he showed a willingness to walk away from the summit because I didn't expect anything good to come of it. And I was concerned that he wanted this so badly. He wanted that Nobel Peace Prize uh, that he was going to go in completely unprepared. So this is this is good news. On the other hand, it, it just exposes how shambolic all of this was, how shambolic the whole doing the end zone dance, you know, before the kickoff. Uh, well, hold was. hold on here, Charlie. Do you really think the summit's off? We don't know, do we? You because never know. I got to tell you, I fully expect at least two more reversals of this before we actually have a decision. Don't you well, think? I, I mean, this is we will the a week from now the summit will be back on, but it will be pushed to like late June, and then it'll be off again. And the, because it's all about the tease, and this is you know like when you don't forget he was backed into this by the South Koreans, right? I mean, nobody really wanted to do this, and I, I will say this much for him: if you read the actual letter that he sent out today, mm -hmm. it sounded like he actually wrote it himself. It was even it's in the pure. What was what was the character he named when he would call the New York gossip columnists pretending oh, to yeah. be his own? It was it Barron, was it John right? Miller. John yeah, there was something. There was there were two of them, right? John yeah. Miller, John Barron. This sounded like the way that fictional character spoke. Well, you, you're right on this. I'm looking at one tweet. Uh, President Trump, after canceling the North Korea summit in a lengthy letter just a few hours ago, just said that there's a chance the existing summit could still take place. Who knows? Uh, apparently the. South Korean government was blindsided by the cancellation of the summit. The of spokesman course. for the president. We are attending. State I, I, Department I love, I love, told the quote. South Koreans what he was going to do. Do you? <laughs> we, we are attempting to make sense of what precisely President Trump means, says spokesman something or other, which is like there's a classic. Yes, we in the midst of all this, we are trying to figure out what the hell just happened, what he meant that was going on. And of Can course, I, what, what seems to have precipitated this was the North Koreans lashing out uh, in very personal terms at Mike Pence, who continued to uh, hold up the 
the Libyan model, which, which of course, you know, ends with uh, Muammar Gaddafi being shot down in the street and his body being dragged uh, through, through the mud, which was not that reassuring, apparently, to the North Koreans. Um, so it was one thing for them to poke back at John Bolton, but apparently when you go after Mike Pence, uh, that, uh, that cancels the summit. You know, can I can I make a point here that I, I've made before with you, but I think it bears repeating. Of course, I would say that that's a self-serving thing of me. Uh, so Trump supporters will often say that the president's strategic ambiguity and his unpredictable nature lend him an enormous advantage in these types of negotiations. And in a large to a large extent, that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think having a, I mean, this is you know, a classic leadership uh, ploy in diplomacy is always to try to pretend that you're the crazy guy and make the other side convinced that you really are unpredictable so they can't know what you're going to do. And I think Trump is legitimately like that. Um, so it can be an advantage. But the problem is that there are often times in the life of a presidential administration when not having people understand your intentions and not be able to predict your behavior and reactions can wind up being catastrophically dangerous. And, you know, like I got there are historical precedents for that. Yeah. God looks after (laughs) Trunk's children in the United States of America. And I hope that God will look after us now. But, you know, I would say. It makes me very, very nervous about confronting a situation like that where somebody on the other side of the world is making a decision about blood and treasure that rests upon them truly being able to anticipate the reactions of our president. And, and it yeah, worries and me and that they won't be able to. Well, I agree with you on that. And the the real danger uh, of, of a nuclear war would be th- somebody miscalculating, misunderstanding, um, reading the tea leaves wrong. How many wars have we backed into because of miscalculation? And you're right, unpredictability can be a you know tremendous strategic asset. The problem is that Donald Trump is not strategically unpredictable. He's he's constitutionally unpredictable. It's it's it is something that that runs through every single aspect, every single issue, every single meeting in the Oval Office. Not reassuring, but I'm glad that the summit is off, at least for now. Okay, now one of the big victories, at least uh, you're seeing on, on social media, um, big victory for the president, a lot of uh, spiking of the football, to use that metaphor, is that he got the NFL to cave in on the issue of players kneeling. Uh, this was an issue that that uh, he almost stumbled into by accident, kind of plucked it out of the air at a at a political rally, you know, saying that the the NFL should not tolerate these players. You know, how dare they 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 protest? And and uh, this created a lot of problems for the NFL. So you have a piece up today what the NFL should have done about the national anthem. So what should they have done? So what they did do is the NFL issued an edict yesterday saying that players are no longer required to be on the field during the singing of the national anthem. If they would like to remain in the tunnel or remain in the locker room, they should feel free to do so. However, if they come out onto the field, by God, they have to stand up for the national anthem. And this is like the classic bureaucratic compromise, which attempts not to solve any of the problems that are in front of the organization, but to just pretend that they don't exist. Let's let's just kick the can down the road and pretend that this doesn't exist and hope that something else comes along and distracts from it and, and people will just forget about it and it'll go away. And I think this was an enormous missed opportunity because when you look at 
let's see, the, the history of labor management <laughs> relations across all industries, but especially in professional sports and especially, especially in the National Football League is that the ownership and the players are almost always in tension with one another, which is to say that what is good for, for the owners or what is good for the players is then bad for the other side. And that this is the rare case where their interests are actually aligned. This would have been a very, very easy win and a pretty easy way to, to come up with a solution that everybody walks away happy for and that is good for the players and good for the NFL. And Roger Goodell, who might be the worst professional league sports commissioner, certainly of my lifetime, maybe ever, uh, the WOT, you know, the worst of all time, uh, it managed to find the sour spot once again. It really is amazing. <laughs> Wait, you, you, you have a line right at the end. Um, this is how an industry that is in decline stays in decline. Yeah, yeah, right. And the obvious. So here's the obvious answer to this. The obvious answer is for the, the NFL to go to the players and say, and to go to the players association and say, look, uh, we are we're in a business that's in a little bit of trouble right now and maybe a lot of trouble. And maybe some of it has to do with uh, the players dealing. A lot of it does not have to do with that. It has to do with technology. The fact that you can walk into Walmart and for like five hundred dollars, get a 65 inch ultra high definition television screen. Uh which makes the game day experience at home very, very attractive compared to the game day experience. For less than 500 bucks. That's, yeah. that's the, wow. Okay. Yeah, amazing, right? <laughs> uh, and and for that, compared to, you know, like the average ticket, I think I, I said in the piece at the Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium is 93 bucks. Parking is $40. I mean, you do the math on this. Which, yeah. What is the more attractive way to, to consume the NFL product? And the answer is on television. Well, that means that going down the road, all of the NFL's future revenues are going to come from television, really. And there, they're in trouble. They're facing two consecutive years of reasonably substantial decline in TV ratings. They are only three years away from their next major contract renegotiation for TV rights. So that means the guys who are in the league now, some very large percentage of them, probably a majority of them, uh, are going to be in the league three years from now when the NFL has to write a new contract for TV. If they were to go into that with like five straight years of 8% decline in their ratings, they're going to be in a very weak position. That means less money for the contract, less money for the teams, less money for the players. So I think you could make a very strong case to the players, look, uh, this isn't the, the main driver of this. There are lots of other things going on. However, this is a problem. This is a fire that we can put out. And so you say and it's them, in our mutual interest to put it it's out. It's in our mutual interest. And and hey, look, so the bad news is you got to come out. You got to stand up for the national anthem. But the, the good news here is we understand why you are protesting and we agree with it. And the truth is, when you look at all the numbers, the number of, you know, both just everybody, and especially black men killed in police shootings every year, is really, really alarming. There are concrete steps that can be taken to, to work on this problem. And so let's spend some NFL resources to do it. Let's go and put, you know, give money to put body cameras on more cops. There, there are sort of interesting, I hate when people say it's sensitivity training because it's not. Policing is a profession. And there are some really good professional programs that help police uh, be better at their jobs, which is what you want. You want better, more professionalized police police who don't make bad decisions and don't act poorly and wind up killing civilians. Uh, so let's let's spend money on that way. Let's let's say that this is a focus for the NFL because it matters to the player membership and we're going to do this together. And now, instead of just kneeling on the sideline and making an empty gesture, we are working together to spend money and attack the problem in real ways. We all win. Right? I mean, what's, well, yeah, what's so hard about this? 
well, apparently they didn't even sit down and talk with the uh, the players about this. The players had have no say in this whatsoever. So you kind of wonder how this is going to play out. By the way, I, I thought you also made a really good point about uh, the, the the danger of thinking that you're going to placate uh, Donald Trump. Uh, that that somehow he's he's going to, as you point out, he's he's playing nice this time. But then you wrote, it's not hard to imagine him beating up on all of the unpatriotic players who won't even come on the field for the national anthem the next time he needs to deploy some chaff. Now, I think probably within 10 minutes of the time you press send on that, the president sounded like he was doing exactly that. <laughs> That's exactly. I mean, it exactly happened while I was writing and I didn't. Yeah. So while I'm in the process of writing the piece, he goes out and says, you know, maybe we ought to deport all these guys. I'm not even sure we should let them stay in America. <laughs> I just... Okay, it's know, amazing. And by the way, not to loop it all back to the to to the top, but because this is a guy who is constantly renegotiating, if you were like Kim Jong-un and you actually did want to denuclearize, you wouldn't do it with this guy because you can't trust that he's actually going to protect your interests. Right. Well, I mean, you yeah, can't trust and, that you're going to get delivered whatever it is that you think you're in. Everybody who does business with with Donald Trump, whether you are a plumbers union in Atlantic City who gets screwed on contract renegotiation and unpaid bills or, uh, you know, delegates to the RNC or people he interviews for jobs and then declines to offer to give the jobs to like Mitt Romney. Uh, this is what he does. And if you're surprised at this point that, you know, you thought you had the president on your side and all of a sudden he's not on your side then you just haven't been paying attention. This is an important point because everybody's talking about the advantages of unpredictability. The flip side is that in order to get deals done, you have to have trust. And therefore, you need to be – it may help to be unpredictable to get the deal. But then you want to be reliable once you make the deal and you point out this is also um, Donald, Donald Trump's uh, problem is that he's not reliable. He, he is perfectly uh, capable of – reneging on the deal or changing the deal or or upping the ante of it. By the way, this comes out, uh, this whole issue that you were talking about, the body cameras, I don't know whether you've had a chance to follow the story in my hometown of Milwaukee where the cops have just released this video of Milwaukee Bucks player Sterling Brown um, being tackled and tased pretty much for no reason whatsoever because of a parking ticket. And it's one of those things where it's captured on video. It's really disturbing no one that I know in any sort of responsible position is uh, is is defending it. But it also does underline this point that you can be supportive of law enforcement and supportive of police, but also recognize that this, you know, look, there, we do have a problem in this country um, and, with 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 the young black men and with police. And, and this is not caving. This is not engaging in anti-cop rhetoric to say that, look, um, these players are not lashing out at America. I think they made a mistake by choosing to do the national anthem. But there there are legitimate things for these guys to protest. You know, and, and it cuts both ways. This is what I also get a little bit spun up about. If I were a cop, uh, I would I would do I would move heaven and earth to have a body camera. There's a case this week where a woman who was stopped in traffic stop for DUI accused the the police officer of raping her. And she went and got an attorney. The attorney was about to press charges. And it turned out that the police department had body camera footage of the whole thing. And no such thing happened. I mean, this, the truth is, like, police often deal with a criminal element who does not have a strict uh, adherence to the truth. And there's a lot of he said, she said stuff, right, with between cops and people that they're busting. 
And I, you know, look, if you're a good cop, a body camera is going to be your protection against being falsely accused of bad behavior. You know, I saw that story right after you tweeted it out. And this is one of those moments where that body cam you know, might have saved that cop's career, his life. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, his you know criminal liability, who knows what would have happened if, uh, you know, if, if in fact he didn't have proof that it did not, it didn't happen. And I want to step back one step beyond this now. Again, you know, taking the the deep breath, obviously the NFL is not the government. It is a private entity. It has the right to be able to tell its players what they can and cannot do when they're in uniform, when when they're in the game. So this is not a direct violation of First Amendment rights. We can stipulate that, correct? You know, as a legal matter, I'm not sure. This is an interesting question. Uh, It is not clear to me what they can. So the NFL can do all sorts of things like any employer does, right? They can right. tell you, you can't get into the league until you are after, over the age of 21 or whatever the law is, it 20 or 21? Right. They can say, you can you must wear this, 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 but you may not wear this. Uh, if you use this language or move your arms in this way while on the right. field, we can penalize your team and fine you money. The question whether they can force people to stand on the sideline uh, as a legal matter, a, a lawyer would have to, to unpack that. But the truth is, if I was the NFL, I would be happy to try that case and dare the Supreme Court to make me do it. But I don't think the Players Association would push it that far. Because here's the thing. If you have a country with 300 million people, you can always find some crazy person somewhere to take like the most extreme, stupidest, bad faith position. But the NFL is not 300 million people. It's a few hundred guys. uh, And I have to believe of those few hundred guys, you have some smaller subset of like 100 or 120 who are kneeling in protest. And I would be perfectly happy to gamble that these guys are acting in good faith, that they are doing it because they care about this issue. And mm-hmm. if the NFL said to them, look, we we accept what you're saying. We agree with you. Let's work to actually attack the problem that this small subset of guys is not the ACLU. I don't know that they're going to run to, you know, run to the courts and try to sue the NFL and get out of having yeah. to stand up. No, I, I think that's that's unlikely. But I was just saying, you know, if you stipulate even that that they can legally do this, and by the way, the Supreme Court decision on the issue of you know compelled patriotism involves public schools. The right, the you know requiring someone to recite the uh, the, the pledge of allegiance, and the court said no, you cannot compel that sort of thing. But even if, just for the sake of argument, I'm stipulating that the NFL is within its rights to do what it just did, and no, neither you or I are lawyers, but there's something about the fact that the president of the United States uses his bully pulpit once again to go after a private entity for political purposes and then gets that company, that organization to cave in in this particular way. It's a dangerous precedent because, you know, as you point out, you know, there's 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 no there's no guarantee that, that Donald Trump won't keep beating up on the NFL, but there's also no guarantee that that having been emboldened by this win in the culture war, that he won't use this against other private companies, private entities. And this seems to be a a new area, a new um, area that, that the Trumpism has has taken us to where the president of the United States bullies these organizations to demand some to to suppress political speech to suppress political dissent. And I'm trying to think what the parallel historically uh, to that would be. 
So Barack Obama went after Donald Sterling. Do you remember this? Donald Sterling was the, the worst person in the world for 15 yeah. minutes a couple of years ago. And uh, Barack Obama decided that he would he was actually on a foreign trip and he decided to take time out of his his foreign trip representing the United States of America abroad to condemn Donald Sterling as a human being and suggest that the NBA do something about it. Uh but that is slightly different. That's that's you know I hate this one person. Something ought to be done about it. This is well, Donald Sterling was on, in yeah, an, but in this industry. Was, this, yeah, right? but this I mean, was this, also this was this was also you know Donald Sterling had engaged in some really overt uh, racist language, right? I mean, don't bring black people around and things like that. Yeah, I, I mean, look, Donald Sterling is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I ain't going to stand up for Donald Sterling, the the guy. If anybody deserves to get railroaded, uh, it's probably him. Um, that said, it's that thing was always sort of a little bit unclear what was really happening there. Um, whatever it is, he got what he had coming. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, but what I, I mentioned is to say that you know we have a, we have a a non a near but non parallel because that is the president of the United States turning his authority and the bully pulpit on an individual citizen. This is this is the president turning it against an industry and a and a business. And he, it's not the first time he's done this, right? I mean, he went after Amazon. He's going after Amazon. A few well, times. I was think I was thinking of that as well. Um, you know, for people who are saying, well, no, everything's pretty much normal. Everything's going along. Like, wait. You know, last week we heard that the president actually met with the postmaster general to personally push them to raise the rates on this company. It's like, OK, I I'm not so naive to think that people like Richard Nixon and Lyndon Johnson did not have phone calls where they said basically said this person is uh, is annoying me. Let, let's see if we can we can screw them. But it's 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 almost now become we, we sort of shrug at it. by the way, if the post office actually did dramatically raise the rates on on Amazon. Wouldn't the, the the direct consequence be that, that consumers would be shafted and that Amazon might stop using the post office, which would bankrupt the post office because Amazon can create it, its own distribution system? So this is not about this, this is not about equity. It's not about levying, levying, leveling the playing field. It's basically about screwing Jeff Bezos. It, 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 it's about going after political enemies, using your position as president, that that clout in order to. It would bring them to heel, to shut them up, to punish them in, in in some way. And I don't know. I'm old enough to remember when people would have thought, "Wow, that's that's crossing all sorts of lines," and only doing it because he doesn't like the coverage from the Washington Post. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really it. Isn't even about Bezos. It's not clear that he has any personal beef with Bezos. Right. He just doesn't like the Post, and Bezos happens to own the Post. And then, though, in the mind of Donald Trump, because Jeff Bezos owns the, the Post. Bezos ought to be able to walk in there and dictate to them exactly what sort of stories they're going to write about Donald mm -hmm. Trump beginning this afternoon. Donald Trump just, I mean, that is the world that he lives in. You know, it's like the David Pecker is a, like, look, David Pecker concerned, you know, knows what goes into the National Enquirer. Why doesn't, uh, why doesn't Jeff Bezos uh, d demand what the sort of content they have in the Washington Post? And that isn't the way it works. But this is, well, you know this what? That is how it works in South America, though. You know? I mean, right. No, no, no. This is a good point because the thing about the world in which he lives, in, in Donald Trump, you know, in 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 that, in that particular world, he hangs around with Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes will tell people, you know, I want to boost this person. I want to have this person rip. David Pecker will, uh, you know, use the National Enquirer as a as 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 a personal as a personal cudgel. So the people that he hangs around with and has has hung around with behave in. In that way, so maybe it's to be expected somehow that he projects that on 
Bezos. And by the way, I don't know that it's just the Washington Post. The fact is that Jeff Bezos is richer and cooler than Donald Trump. And I'm guessing that that gets under his skin at a certain level as well. I mean, doesn't Don, Jeff Bezos has the kind of respect that Donald Trump has always craved, but he's never going to get? I don't know that Jeff Bezos, I don't know anybody's ever accused Jeff Bezos of being cooler than anybody else. Um, but <laughs> that said, I mean, Jeff Bezos has created, I think, the most interesting company in the last like 50 years of American business and certainly the most consequential company since Microsoft, probably uh, a company whose far reaching effects we we don't even fully understand yet. Uh, I mean, the, the truth, I, I sort of asked this on Twitter, a Twitter poll, unscientific, uh, a couple months ago of, of Google, Facebook, Netflix, and Amazon. Which of mm. these companies do you think you will still be using 20 years from now? And it was like 97% said Amazon. Um, like everybody just assumes like Amazon's going to be here forever because they're doing all sorts of very interesting things. And I, I mean, if you're Trump, like all he is is a, Again, it's going to sound like, you know, you never Trump right. idiots. Yeah, right. uh, as a businessman, he's a guy who, you know, made a bunch of deals with real estate and then did a lot of work with licensing. And as with all these things are, you know, you win some, you lose some, you go bankrupt a couple times, you spread around some cash, you get rich a couple times. And, you know, he's not worth $12 billion or whatever he said. He, you know, when, was it Forbes or Fortune who did like the actual real world? How much is Donald Trump worth? And I think the answer they came up with was, was like $700 million or something, yeah. which is great. God love him for it. I wish I had $700 million. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I may. It I, isn't I, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> it's not I, Bezos money. I, I may side with Donald Trump on this issue. Let, let's see where you, you come down on all, all of this. You had a federal judge in, in Manhattan that ruled yesterday that it was unconstitutional for Donald Trump to. Um, to block people on his Twitter account. Okay, so that uh, and some some critic who had been blocked by Donald Trump said that being blocked uh, affected her ability to be a public intellectual, whatever the hell that means. Um, I, I, I guess I thought that that was sort of an overreach because it's Twitter. It's not actually a government document. What's your take on that? Uh, should should the know, president I, I, be able to block and he probably has blocked you, right? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I like to say I believe I am the only person on staff at the Weekly Standard who has been singled out by Donald Trump on Twitter by name to really? praise his coverage. Back during the debates, I wrote a debate analysis for one. I don't remember if it was the first debate or the third debate or something like that. And I wrote a piece of analysis saying, look, it sure looked to me like Donald Trump won this thing. He looked great up there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And an hour later, he approvingly said, you know, thanks so much, Jonathan. Great story. And tweeted out the link or something like that. So I, I'm pretty fair and balanced on the question of Donald Trump, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, and, and apparently on Twitter. I, I think I'm with you, too. I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, I'm a little bit nervous that the guy who's the leader of the free world has time to block people on Twitter. Yeah. Right. I mean, does that, does that worry? I don't think I've ever blocked anybody on Twitter. Now I, I probably don't spend as much time on it as the president does, but I also hope he's busier than I am. Yeah. But you know, God, if this is how he wants to spend his time, I guess I'm all for it. I, I think he should be able to block them. Although I would say, I say this not having read the decision and not having thought about it for more than 10 seconds. So I reserve the right to change my opinion down the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same case. Uh, actually, some boy, maybe six, seven, eight, nine months ago, and I'm probably just making that up. Uh, uh, they actually called me and asked whether I would be a uh, a co-plaintiff on that that case, and I and I passed on it because. It, it just it just seemed a little sketchy to make a constitutional free speech issue 
out of Twitter. I just, I just, I just couldn't do that. Did they so, really call you to be? This isn't no, no, they no, did. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm apparently on all of these lists. You know, hey, Charlie, the deep state. You're, you're part of the there. deep state, Charlie. Yes. But I said you, no. You I, made it. I, I did say no. So, is there anything else that we need to know about today? Ah, uh, so gosh. much stuff. I just try to sort sort through it all. The big news day, but don't worry, they'll they'll make more of it tomorrow. Yeah, hopefully we have the you know we have a three day weekend coming up, and everybody can sit back a little bit and maybe have twenty four hours of of a little bit of normality. Thank you, JV, for joining me today. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow.